Good afternoon, everybody. This is Michael Coyasa. I'm CEO of OpenSea Direct here for another uh, live conversation for uh, and about event organizers, things happening in the live event ticketing industry that you may want to learn more about. And uh, it's a pleasure to have today uh, from the great state of Ohio. Um, and sorry about Saturday for Buckeyes fans. I'm sorry. It's, rough, it's been a rough week. <laughs> no, no, indeed. But uh, and also native uh, Columbus area of uh, a city I've visited, uh, it was a cool time having, um, is the Director of Policy and Advocacy for the American Economic Liberties Project, uh, Morgan Harper. Good afternoon and uh, uh, welcome to the Overseas Direct Podcast. Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm excited to be here. Yes, indeed. So um, any Taylor Swift fans and others certainly know, Swifties know, this is sort of a hot topic, uh, hot, topic hot conversation to have uh, for it's uh, sort of in the top of the news unusually. Obviously, things like this don't normally become part of the zeitgeist, the sort of antitrust, big company questions and government regulation questions. But um, we'll first give you a little bit sort of a quick history and sort of uh, laying the groundwork of, of how that Swifties getting shut out sort of uh, news buzz might impact what um, your organization would argue is part of the problem in that uh, ticketing space um, mm -hmm. and uh, sort of uh, get a better idea of uh, learn more about Ticketmaster and how it might be it might be too big. But first, I wanted to get a sense of a little bit where you're from, from the state of Ohio, and sort of how you got involved with this organization and uh, your background in this sort of like antitrust uh, advocacy, let's say, you know, breaking up big business. <laughs> It's a great question, and uh, and it's been a very organic path. So yeah, I'm I'm here in Columbus. I'm originally from Columbus. Grew up on the east side, and I had you know some experiences when I was pretty young that just showed me this division of economic opportunity based on what neighborhood you happen to grow up in, and that really stuck with me. So I've always just had this curiosity about what's going on here. I was really fortunate that I got to kind of like jump out of you know, or around a couple different um, of those zip codes and environments when I was growing up. Uh, not everyone gets that. And, and what's up with this? Like, this is supposed to be America, American dream. Everybody gets a fair shot. And, you know, fast forward, I went to college, learned there was this thing called public policy. It was like, oh, there are folks in these positions that are designing what our lives look like, more or less, and you know, need to figure out what's up there. Uh, and I found my way to the Federal Trade Commission in the early 2000s um, when I was fresh out of college, really with this mission of trying to like figure out how we can preserve that access to a fair shot. And, and what I encountered was everything that I had heard from a lot of folks I grew up around in Ohio that government's not really doing anything, there's no movement, there's no action, you know, it's just all a waste, which, you know, I know is a perspective a lot of people have. And, and I was really, really disappointed um, to feel like and in that that viewpoint was validated by my own experience. So anyway, uh, left there after a couple of months and then began, you know, what I would call my political education of, of understanding, you know, some of those dynamics of what's been going on. And then, and then eventually, you know, I got my faith in government.
we seem to have uh, Morgan Harper freeze up a little bit here on the other end. Uh, what she was explaining, obviously, was her uh, sort of awakening in this sort of a subject matter. Um, she also has run for political office in the state of Ohio on a couple of occasions, at least, um, and uh, currently does uh, advocacy work for this sort of like anti uh, looking into the context of should big business government um, interact in a certain way where government regulates um, uh, and breaks up uh, larger entities. We'll give her a second to jump back into this, but I guess to, to lay the groundwork uh, to give you uh, folks just a sort of a basic history of a company like Ticketmaster and then uh, Morgan Har Harper can jump back in once uh, uh, sort of the internet uh, 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 behaves for her on the other end. But Ticketmaster, if you go way back, was um, um, did have competitors way back if you're talking about the 1980s and 90s. And folks may remember that Ticketmaster, in uh, sort of before the internet, there would be an American strip mall or your local mall, there might have been a Ticketmaster location where you would go and it was sort of a kiosk and you would look to purchase tickets at a kiosk. Someone, an uh, individual was working there and dialing things up. Uh, and then fast forward uh, uh, about 10 years or so, 10 or 11 years ago, um, Live Nation, which is the largest uh, concert promoter in the world, um, and it would own different uh, venues. Uh, one would know pretty well off the top of their heads, as well as being the largest concert promoter. People like Jay-Z and Taylor Swift and others are uh, the promoters of these uh, acts, both large and small, uh, look to merge with uh, Ticketmaster and purchase it. Uh, and that actually took place with the federal government's blessing, I believe in 2011. And we'll bring back uh, Morgan uh, Harper back to the show. Hello. Get her totally froze. <laughs> no, no, no. So the interwebs are, were not kind to you. So that's fine. So you yeah. were saying that, you know, to go back in and I was as your way explaining a little bit about Ticketmaster Live Nation, but to jump back into your story, you had just seen, it seems like uh, uh, after the FTC, FTC experience that you felt like you would um, uh, d delve into policy or, or advocacy a little yeah, bit differently, exactly. right? That's so, yeah, yeah, and, and sorry again for cutting out there. No, so you know, had this experience, FTC didn't really feel that sense of urgency that I thought our government should be providing for us to really solve a lot of these economic issues happening on the ground and, and people just not getting a fair shot. And that's not just like us as individuals, that's small business owners, that's you know mm -hmm. people at the community level, level that are trying to make money and be okay. And so uh, I really had my faith in government restored when I got to work at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau after the financial crisis and really seeing folks try to do government in a different way. But the limitation I observed there and, you know, things have changed a bit. We have, um, you know, certainly learned a lot over the last decade or so. But uh, what I saw was great. You can have a great agency. It's doing great work. We're, we're protecting the rules of the road. But there's some structural issues in the economy that are leading to people not earning enough money and making it so much harder for us to all just get by, which wasn't the case a generation ago. And how are we going to address those structural issues? And eventually found my way to, to antitrust and understanding of this concentration of economic power all over the economy and Live Nation Ticketmaster is an example of that in the live event space. No, indeed. So let's go right to it. So obviously what was in the news recently is that there there are a few Taylor Swift fans in the world, as people know. Um, and she's such a huge <laughs> artist. She has new music out that she hasn't uh, performed live in several years. Um, obviously we had all suffered from, you know, COVID-19 and how that slowed everything up. 
with human beings going to a place, interacting, live events. And so this was a big, obviously, uh, coming out party, for lack of a better term, that she's finally going to tour again. And if you look at her venue, she's doing stadiums. So it's not like she's doing like little nightclubs somewhere. Um, but there was so much demand and so much frustration by, by potential ticket buyers that there was a lot of, you know, social media or other vitriol pointed basically at uh, Ticketmaster particularly. So uh, just to give a context of history, so I was explaining um, as you were away a short time, Ticketmaster is a, a, an old company in terms of uh, folks that can go way back where you would go to any American mall and there might have been a Ticketmaster kiosk location where you physically bought tickets before the internet. So it's been around for a long time. And then over the years, it either bought out competition or what have you. And then fast forward, if I remember right, 2011 is where Live Nation, which uh, at least now is a publicly paid company, and it's actually the biggest concert promoter in the world. So people like Jay-Z and others, you know, they're the promoter for these humongous acts. They um, bought Ticketmaster in 2011. I don't know if you're able to explain a little bit more about sort of how that worked and, you know, what the criticism is after that happened, let's say. Yeah, no, and you're you're exactly right, Michael. You're, am I coming through okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, this is a long, long story that crescendoed in a major way over the last, you know, week and a half. But um, there have been a lot of people speaking out about the dangers of Ticketmaster as an individual company in the 90s. I mean, folks are starting to see in the coverage, you know, Pearl Jam was a big band that was right. willing and courageous enough to say something. Um, and so there were issues before this merger occurred with Ticketmaster as a standalone ticketing company that was really consolidating power through a lot of acquisitions. And that's a key point in this story because, you know, a lot of these players will say like, oh, we're just better than everybody else. It's like, no, you're mm -hmm gobbling up the competition and that's how you're starting to grow your growth is not just a reflection of superior business you know business practices um but anyway so you know Ticketmaster was growing on their end live nation was starting to really dominate um the, the venue owning venues directly concert promotion you know tour tour organization and instead of letting the threat of Ticketmaster starting to encroach on some of the live nation uh, other industries related to the, the live event space, they were like, wait a second, we don't need to keep fighting each other. We can just come together. And then we know we own everything. Right. right. Uh, and so, you know, the, the only thing that probably is very surprising in, in a lot of this history is that the Department of Justice let it go through because the harms were very clear. Um, actually, a lot of the current members of our Breakup Ticketmaster Coalition that we launched a month ago, they were part of that some of them were part of that initial fight, you know, in 2009, was, in 2010. And people may find it interesting. It was under the Obama administration. It wasn't a uh, what would be seen as more of a, a cozy business or, you know, it, it was under Obama's administration. And as you mentioned, some that are involved with the work you're doing now were a part of it and either weren't sure or sort of seen the light. Exactly. And that is a key yeah. point. And, and honestly, one of the things I like about the antitrust space or anti-monopoly space generally is the politics on this stuff is scrambled. So, you know, over administrations from both parties over the last few decades, there have been failures. And, you know, we've put out a report that was actually our initial research that my colleague Krista Brown 
was responsible for in our document called Courage to Learn that was pointing out, you know, some of the shortcomings in um, in the Obama administration on this front. But it's been it's been the case from lots of parties over the last few decades. And so um, this is not a partisan issue. This is a, a fairness issue. And and yeah, you know, having the merger go through with really just some agreements from Live Nation Ticketmaster as a combined entity to license some software here or there to promise us that you know, you're not going to leverage your dominance to hurt or retaliate against your competition. And God bless, you know, more or less. Uh, It it is really shocking that that was a decision that was made then. Right, indeed. So I guess to give um, folks sort of the the kaleidoscope, uh, the the reach of the company Live Nation, which owns Ticketmaster. So just to offhand for someone who's been in live event business, Live event, uh, Live Nation owns venues. So if people know like the House of Blues franchises. There's one, I think, in Ohio, for instance, um, one in Orlando, Florida, uh, Las Vegas, so on and so forth. And so they own a bunch of venues across the country. Uh, you would also, like I said, be the the owner of Ticketmaster, which is the, the place, obviously, through which people are buying tickets. So then they may own a lot of the venues where this event is taking place. And then, as yeah. you mentioned, they're the largest concert promoter in the world. The second one is AEG, but the number one largest is Live Nation. So that means, in theory, that they would be the company that uh, has the exclusive promoting rights to the artist, let's say. There's a scenario where they then own the venue, a significant amount or some of the venues that this artist actually performs in, in the tour, during the tour. And then the only place to buy for the uh, first-hand tickets, the, what they call a primary market tickets, mm-hmm. would be Ticketmaster, which they own as well. So it's an interest, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting uh, environment where you're the promoter, the venue, and the ticket uh, selling provider, as it were. And this literally is the case. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think interesting is one word for it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing yeah, is yeah. is ludicrous, right? I mean, right. this is yeah, it's a, a total vertical integration. It would be you know the technical term for it, and and it just it ensures that it's game over for anybody else who's trying to make you know significant money um, in the live in the live event space. And you know that's another key point. I'm glad you mentioned AEG because this is something that you know the chairman of the Live Nation Ticketmaster board mentioned in the the first you know couple of days after the Taylor Swift stuff was going down it was like oh well you know we're not dominating AEG is there i mean some estimates are maybe AEG has like 20% of the market which leaves Roughly, yeah. a very yeah. high percentage controlled by um, Live Nation Ticketmaster so you know even even their presence isn't really a counter argument to Right. Um, the point that Live Nation Ticketmaster is right. so, essentially give people context, Yeah, like AG would, um, it, it owns a crypto.com arena in LA to give you an example. If people have ever bought tickets on AXS or access.com or see the cable channel, that's AG. That's the company that owns that. And so indeed, that's the argument. That's, you know, it's sort of like Coke and Pepsi in a lot of ways. Like one is Coke and the other is Pepsi, but and and not even really. AGC, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, yeah. To give you a rough idea, um, and yeah. then um, in the context of like a Taylor Swift, just to give people an example, like Taylor is humongous, obviously one of the biggest artists in the world, yeah. and so she also has extreme. We all know the Swifties. We all know extremely dedicated fan base, passionate about her music and and her as a personality. So in theory, she she certainly would have the resources. Let's say marketing. Uh, hiring technical people, hiring a ticketing platform or buying one, uh, creating one herself, 
where let's say she does this tour, she could have in theory sold primary tickets from like a Taylor Swift dot tickets or something. You know what I mean? Like she's big enough where in theory she could have did that. But um, even for big artists like that or indie artists that let's say they have the resources or investors to let's say rent out, you know, um, you know, rent out Rocket Mortgage Arena in Cleveland, let's say. And mm -hmm. they're like, no, I can bring my own platform in here and I'm just going to do it or go to Mass Square Garden and do it. Um, can you give uh, folks listening or watching sort of uh, a reason why that would not happen in the current sort of reality of, you know, the control they have in their market uh, and the like? Right. So let's say someone is big at Taylor, like, no, I can do it myself. I'll get a, my own primary ticket and I just want to rent the building out and then do it myself. How does this yeah. current situation prevent that? Yeah, well, and, and you know, and this is something that Pearl Jam was trying to do way back right. in the day to get the around 90s, it, yes. right? It's like, okay, yes. we're just we'll do it ourselves, you know. And right. I think that's a really normal instinct, you know. It's like, oh, you know, f these guys, like we're just gonna get some control back over our lives and our and our talent, you know. Um, I mean, what's challenging about that at this point is because of the vertical vertical integration. Is like if you want to. Taylor Swift, like you said, is a huge artist. She wants to perform for as many people as possible. She has a lot of fans, wants to accommodate them. Well, these biggest, the biggest venues are also in many cases owned by Live Nation Ticketmaster. So they're gonna want a contract. You wanna come to our venue? Well, then you're gonna need to use our ticketing services. Our our location is a Ticketmaster location. And you know, maybe sometimes it isn't as explicit as that from a contractual perspective. Say, um, it yes. could also look yeah, it could also look like, okay, you're not going to, you know, go to a Ticketmaster um, or a Live Nation venue, but then we're not going to give you great days for, for when those shows will happen. It's not going to be like primetime Friday, Saturday, for example. So, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, devil is in the details and the contracts that obviously we don't all have access to. But right. for sure, you know, you, you don't have to sniff around for very long to know that these are exclusionary contracts that are being used to weaponize, you know, weaponize in the market and increase the amount of money that Live Nation Ticketmaster is making to the detriment of, of other people. Right, right, right. And then I guess, um, can what else from the research that you and your colleagues have done, um, what else are examples that come up that sort of um, is sort of, uh, you know, can be used as a poster child for why this, you know, this company is too big and, and unfairly sort of monopolized? Um, yeah. Mark, what are other examples that you've come across, I guess, from the work you guys have been doing? Well, and I mean, that's the other, it's another example we'd say is, you know, the lack of investment in technology, right? And so, you know, with the, the Taylor Swift um, example is a lot of monopolists. And that's the other thing. It's like these patterns happen across all the markets. Monopolists act very, very similarly once you start digging into it. And so, you know, not investing in technology is a very common trait, a lack of innovation put another way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so even though they're big and they have the resources, they don't need to invest and make the technology better because they know that at this point, people don't have any choice. That would be different if there's more competition in the market. The other thing is, right. you know, if you look one layer below, okay, yeah, Taylor Swift is still making a lot of money off of her tours. But if you're trying to make it as a, you know, a medium sized artist, as more of an independent artist um, and also play in smaller venues, well, it becomes a lot more difficult. Every dollar really counts, right? You know, in that situation. And so it becomes a lot right. more difficult to earn enough money to make touring worth your while when you have companies like Live Nation Ticketmaster that are going to be taking you know a certain amount off the top and through these fees 
um, and you're just not in a position to get as strong of a contract. So all of this are just, you know, other examples of the harms that stem from the concentrated power workers. You know, that's something we haven't even talked about yet that we're starting to dig into. Um, how this is impacting the wages of not just the artists, but people who work in the music industry. That's usually another um, impact that we'll see. So, yeah, at every layer, it really is a threat to what, you know, is this critical American experience and global experience of being able Indeed. to access art and see the the artists that, that we all love. Right. And, and I, just, you know, with like Ticketmaster, again, from my experience being on sort of, you know, different sides of ticketing, um, you know, there's Ticketmaster Canada. So Canada, a significant part of, you know, Ticketmaster as a market is uh, like venues in Toronto and other big cities, Vancouver yeah. and others in Canada. And then Mexico, there's actually Ticketmaster Mexico, for those who don't know that, um, again, they have a significant chunk of, uh, you know, venues in Mexico City and other places there. Yeah, yeah they're and everywhere. Then, they're everywhere. Yeah. So we, yeah. we are hearing, and I don't know, Michael, I'd be interested in your experience, but we are hearing from some fans we've talked to that they have better experiences in different global markets where they, or international markets, where the rules of competition are enforced better. And so they're not seeing, you know, some of these same blockers that they're, they're seeing and trying to get um, tickets in the U.S. You know, good question. Um, I think... Um, I've heard a mix. So uh, different markets from, again, what I've heard offhand would be different. So for instance, uh, Britain. So London, you know, Great Britain, for instance, treats uh, the secondary market like illicit drugs in the United States, right? Uh, whereas in the US, it kind of depends on the state if there's regulation, but generally like the stub of vivid seats in the world, they're certainly reselling tickets. And by the way, Ticketmaster is also a competitor in the ticket resale environment. So the secondary meaning, market. But right, secondary market, the fancy term meaning that stub and vivid places where people buy and sell tickets like a marketplace, Ticketmaster does that as well, um, which is interesting because they're the primary ticket platform, the only place to get it first run. And then, oh, by the way, we have a function on the technology where you bought it and then you could just resell it or someone could just resell it right on the same Ticketmaster. Um, I think, yeah, there's some countries I've heard where just because they're outside of the purview of like Ticketmaster's reach, that there just might be um, a, a much less like consolidated, everyone tends to go to the same platform. Because again, promoters in those places might control more. I'm going to use this platform for my cadre of nightclubs or artists and, uh, you know, or it's going to be case by case, maybe venues less in other countries less are likely to have like a contract that, you know, locks them in, you have to use X platform. Um, I don't yeah. know that in every case, obviously the world is large, but there would be cases where people felt like they had better experience and below the Ticketmaster world, there's certainly, in, you know, humbly OpenSea Direct is one on a, on a smaller scale where our concept with the company is uh, event organizers can work directly with customers, sell directly, cut out fees and middlemen and receive money right away. Whereas other platforms are more of uh, what we see Ticketmaster has done where it's large, it's contractual, you have to use us. There's fees involved to the customer that you know, in a lot of cases could be crazy. Um, and then there is, like I said, in the US, there's uh, our company, others where there's no question some competition, at least on a smaller scale where let's say it's just a nightclub in Brooklyn or, or LA or whatever, where they're outside of the large purview of Ticketmaster, but whatever platform they're using, people have, you know, preferred using that, or they like the experience, or there might be like wait list opportunities um, 
that sort of helps cut out resell a little bit. There's just different features you'll see in other platforms that, you know, we may not see on the largest scale because of, you know, the dominance of the chosen few of platforms and promoters. Let's say. <laughs> Um, in that regard, well, yeah, and it, it, yeah. yeah, it's a good point to mention that they're playing on the primary and secondary market because, right. you know, that's where we haven't even touched on. And, and honestly, the campaign hasn't even been able to really get there. But um, the, the role of data in all of this, because once you're starting to collect data on consumers, on primary markets, secondary market, then you can use that to feed into the other business lines. And that is another way to make sure that you're getting preferred in the market above your limited, you know, limited number right. of other players. So right, right. Um, that's something that, you know, another big fight in the anti-monopoly space is big tech, you know, Facebook, yeah. Google, Amazon. Um, and like I was saying, you know, a lot of these tactics can be very similar, even if the markets are, are really different. The use of data is certainly now um, a common, commonly weaponized um, tactic Indeed. by monopoly. And for someone who used to, you know, in my career had worked at, a major arena, um, you would even hear from like box veteran box office people or people in the industry, in the arena industry, that they would like in Ticketmaster just a really big email list, <laughs> for instance, that they've been around so long and because of the nature of, you know, having so much yeah. reach and, and, and are able to, you know, block people out of the, the rebound, as it were, that it's essentially, even if you wanted to use something else you thought functionally better, there was pressure because they have all the emails. They have the big email, the ultimate email list that again, because of lack of competition in theory that, you know, other other platforms couldn't acquire unfairly over decades or what have you. Um, yeah. So again, it wasn't technology. It wasn't, oh, this is the greatest platform ever used and other features it was, well, they have the emails and contractually they're tied into the venue. <laughs> what are we gonna do? We're we gonna go around that. It's hard to it's hard to say yes to that idea, you know, in a lot of cases. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, can you tell me how this may be obvious, but how like uh, so the, a, a common the two common experiences that would be negative that people would use Ticketmaster. One is, and we'll talk more about like Taylor Swift pre-sale and all that craziness, a, a show that never went public without sale, which is crazy. But um, two is just fees, like the common reflex, uh, the common criticism you might hear from the average fan is man the fees on this big concert i want to see is is a lot you know the ticket mm -hmm. might have been normally maybe you know 100 bucks or 150 but because of fees it turned into something significantly more so uh, from your vantage point um what's the argument as to you know how this um monopolistic environment sort of impacts like fees that could be to a lot of people too darn high Yeah. Uh, so the fee thing is, yeah, it's it's hugely frustrating. Uh, and, and this is an example of monopolists also just don't have to be transparent around what they're doing. So, you know, if you look at some of these fees that are getting charged, it's like, oh, a service fee. Okay, service for what? You know, like the, mm -hmm. the grand pleasure of being able to buy a ticket online when you don't offer any other way to buy tickets, right? And you're right, controlling right. the cases, whole terms yeah. of the tour. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's a minimum thing is nobody is denying Live Nation Ticketmaster or any other entities, you know, ability to make money. That's what this is about. It's a it's a market. You make money. But what are you making money for and what is the service that's being provided for that? Um, not clear because they don't they don't have to. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, some of these like the dynamic pricing and all of that. 
Um, that, you know, those are things that are agreed upon when folks are putting tours together. But at a minimum, like there should be transparency around what fees are for and guaranteed if there was more transparency, then there would be competitive pressure in the market to start charging lower fees. Or if you had more competition that didn't charge as many fees, people would choose that. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, the coalition is looking very closely at um, the Federal Trade Commission where I worked way back in the day that now has totally new leadership uh, at, at this junk fees rulemaking that's really trying to crack down across the economy, but including in the ticketing space, these junk fees that serve no purpose and are just another way for you know really large corporations to make even more money off the backs of consumers. Right, right, indeed. And from what I recall, at least again, working in arenas, and I think even if you were to buy some on Ticketmaster today, for instance, um, what it would read is whatever the, Phase, what they call the face value price of it, right? Yeah. And then there is mm -hmm. this interesting like fees and it's not spelled out and it's usually the largest number. So if it's like a $60 <laughs> yeah, exactly. ticket, the largest number is like $12.75 fees times four or whatever you bought. Then it seems like in most cases, not maybe not all, but in most cases, whatever the local, because most arenas have some sort of like tax, it might be like the equivalent of like, um, Hotels in a city have a tax, you know, as part of a tax base for that town, right? So there tends to be that spelled out specifically. Hey, the the, the municipal tax or the local tax is two dollars and twenty cents. Mm -hmm. But there is this interesting like fees that's not spelled out what that thirteen dollars and fifty cents per seat is, but it's it's there, and that's what you're saying is that that's not always clear where that goes. And from my experience, um, the the argument is well, some of that goes to the venue. Um, you know, uh, some of that goes maybe to, uh, you know, the promoter or something, but, but yeah, it's never clear. Well, what, what's that breakout and, you know, how does it, yeah. you know, could that be in competition brought down as it were? Well, yeah. And, and again, and you're in it, Michael, so you know, I mean, you don't have to talk yeah. to many people to know a lot of it's not going to the venue and a lot of it is not going to an artist if you're not a global superstar. So right. Right. where is this money? Most of the money is going to Live Nation Ticketmaster. Right, right. I right. think that's pretty, pretty safe to say. Not and right. yeah, I mean, in some cases, this is, you know, these fees are like 78% of the face value of the ticket. That's been interesting too. I actually was just seeing a clip where somebody put together this compilation of different artists who are speaking out about Ticketmaster, some content from the 90s, and folks saying like they wanted to do tours. And these are, you know, big, big names like Nirvana. It's like we want our tickets right. to be $18 a piece. Can you imagine going to like a huge, national artists at this point and the tickets would be $18. <laughs> right. No, that's Yeah. That's, that's, that's not or, or anywhere under a hundred. <laughs> no, exactly. And then as you know, there have been attempts by artists to, to combat that, but what they have to do is play a really unusual amounts of actual live shows to even get close to kind of bring it down. So one example people use a lot, which is fair as a, like a Garth Brooks, Garth Brooks is kind of notorious for, um, most artists have like a lot of pre-sales. There's a pre-sale on Tuesday for you, the fan club on Thursday, whatever. And then it gets the public sale. In his case, he tends to do just the public sale. It's stadiums and it's one or two prices, but he has to play usually at least double or triple the normal amount of live events just to like mm -hmm. execute what his fan base is. And he's so unusually big, you know, he's in that rare era of just very popular people. Yeah, he could. That, that's not realistic for everybody, you know. Clearly, right? You know, no one's exactly. not everybody's gonna play three hundred shows a year because I want to bring it down to twenty bucks, and it's just unrealistic. Um, right. But yeah, the the interesting idea, right? That even as back as thirty years ago, what have you, that artists could 
we're starting to realize, well, maybe we have enough following or power to kind of do it ourselves. And these were examples of like roadblocks where they felt like, well, we, we can't get around it or it's very litigious to get around it or logistically it's kind of difficult to do as it were. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, um, so what are, could you explain, um, uh, let me do first sort of like uh, devil's advocate on like the Taylor Swift, you know, uh, controversy. Then I'm curious if you could give us an update of sort of what's the latest on sort of uh, DOJ, Department of Justice, some other things that are going on. But obviously what came in the news a lot, Taylor Swift. So she went on sale. Um, she she attempted to do this pre-sale list of like fan clubs and, you know, getting on mm -hmm. different things. And obviously there was a big uproar about fans just never tons of fans just never getting access to tickets. So the devil's advocate, I guess, for someone like Taylor Swift or someone really big like that, is that um, even if Ticketmaster or any platform like executed perfectly or didn't have any glitches or tech problems with their their show pre-sale, that show pre-sale rollout, um, she mm -hmm. has such huge demand. She has such huge demand that inevitably fans are going to strike out as it were um and your your camera uh shut off if uh, morgan just yeah, up. yeah i'm just so the, I'm the no no the concept <laughs> is that um hey you know taylor swift the bottom line is even if she has to play so many more stadiums that she physically cannot one person cannot do that she's so big that she just her demand was never going to be fully satisfied by everybody getting tickets. This is reality. And her, she's such a humongous artist that it's a supply and demand, as you mentioned, where she's going to charge a couple hundred bucks. She does big light shows and big stages and special guests and all, you know, legitimately, right. Um, where, Hey, it's going to be expensive because there's demand secondary primary market. And then secondly, you know, she's so big that she would have to play, you know, unrealistic, like 350 shows in three months, just to, you know, accommodate for the demand. So again, just playing devil's advocate, you know, based on that, what you probably have heard in the, in social media sphere or in criticism of the criticism, what, what are your thoughts on, on sort of that thinking? Yeah. I mean, for sure, there's always going to be a set number of tickets. And then, you know, if you, like you're saying, if you're a huge artist, maybe more, demand or more people who want to see your show than their tickets available. Right. Uh, sure. But I do think that that somewhat distracts from the root cause of a lot of the issues with the experience that Taylor Swift and, you know, the Swifties were having with the, with the presale one, you know, I would say that there is a lot of pressure put on just one platform. And again, I'm going to draw that parallel with the big tech platforms that the reason why we have so much, you know, so many issues with when something goes wrong or viral, you know, on Facebook, um, or, or, you know, on other platforms is because they are speaking to almost the whole world. Right. And so similarly, you know, we, when we have over 2 million people who are trying to go to just one place because Live Nation Ticketmaster wants right. to be the guy, well, yeah, it becomes a lot more of a problem when there's any sort of issue with your platform versus right. if we had a competitive marketplace, there were lots of different platforms that people were going to. Yes, there will still be some folks that maybe are disappointed, aren't able to get tickets, but it is not you know, the global <laughs> event um, that right. we all saw over the last week and a half. The other right. thing I'd say is like coming back to the investment in technology thing. I mean, and Taylor Swift said this herself, more or less in the statement she put out that she was promised that this would be handled. And Live Nation Ticketmaster knows that it can make promises that it doesn't have to keep. 
because Taylor Swift and a lot of other folks don't have choices in the market, right? right. And so, right. Um, and I think you saw that in the arrogance of the chairman's initial response in that CNBC interview when he was asked about, hey, are you worried about this debacle? And he's like, you know, she's just so popular. It's just inevitable um, right. and no impact to the stock price. But when do you start seeing an impact to the stock price? When it becomes public that the Department of Justice is actually investigating. So. You know, I, I think that that really was, I mean, bleeding a little bit into your second question. This yeah. is a really big deal that we now know the Department of Justice is opening an investigation, but it's not enough. And if you look back at this history, the Department of, of Justice has investigated Ticketmaster a lot. There was the initial, you know, challenging of the merger in 2010. There was the renegotiation of the consent decree in 2019. And a lot of these investigations haven't done what is clearly necessary, which is to check the concentrated power of this company and demand, you know, structural changes to ensure that it's truly a, a fair market. Right. Indeed. So to step back a little before we talk more about that push, um, just giving an example of like independent promoters that are not on that like Ticketmaster scale, um, event organizers would know that they may use a couple different platforms to sort of sell tickets based on what they think the demographic of that platform is. Mm -hmm. So for instance, Latino immigrant promoters might use like a, a Spanish language ticketing platform that has a very immigrant Spanish speaking market, but then also use something else for the, you know, the first generation Latino or, or that sort of marketing kind of use both platforms together to help sell, which as you mentioned, Morgan, wouldn't put pressure on one place. Everyone has to go here. Right. You could in theory spread it out where maybe VIP tickets or fan clubs over here or certain locations, certain venues, whatever it may be that in theory that could, that could happen in more control. And like I said, someone like that big in theory could invest in her own platform. I mean, she's that big and the limitations well, exactly. of that, you know, instead of doing it herself as it were, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, 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 you know, and it's, it's not just theoretical. I mean, there was oh, totally. more competition yeah. in the nineties, right? I mean, the, like we were talking about a lot of how we got into this situation is through the like serial acquisitions that Ticketmaster is doing. So, you know, one of the ones that my colleague Krista Brown points to in a recent Rolling Stone piece she did is, mm -hmm. you know, the acquisition of Ticketron, which was right. that a was really serious competitor. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and then they just, they just got them, you know, and even the CEO of, of Teatron was like, well, well, there goes, there goes the neighborhood, right? I mean, you can't really have a free market when you're allowing these types of, of acquisitions to, to go through. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not theoretical. And that's a question we get, you know, a lot in the anti-monopoly space is like, well, what do you, what are you all envisioning? What's on the other side of these breakups? It's like the other side of it is, the promise of this country in a way, which is free market competition, yeah, you know, right, and, and, right. and people getting, you know, a chance to really like build and grow businesses. This isn't, this isn't rainbows and unicorns. This is, this is what we're supposed to be about. Right. Right. I'm curious from your vantage point too, um, what I've seen at least in like primary ants, like ticketing, like Ticketmaster, and then spaces that are more, be more like StubHub or Vivid where their marketplace where people buy or sell is that there seems to be a little, um, and I'm curious your feedback, how this might happen or how it's a little different uh, or not um, clear is there are platforms that are, we had mentioned AEG, so they have their own platform. They own, by the way, AX, access or access.com where that's their primary platform. And they do the same where if they own the venue, they would have you use their platform. But mm -hmm. there's another company like a SeatGeek where it seems like they're there are a few venues in the U.S. where they've become like instead of Ticketmaster, the platform at times 
they would use that to sell tickets. So um, I'm not sure how much you know about that, those world of, you know, to some degree competitors, but how that either exists despite this environment or two, um, how that could maybe even flourish or that'd be a little more hand to hand, you know, a little more slugfest than it is now, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, you know, not at all an expert in, in, in all the dynamics of the secondary market, but, yeah. um, but I will say it is an example, like what you're showing is a little bit more, you know, independence that, you know, a venue that is not controlled by Live Nation, Ticketmaster is making their own decision about what they want their ticketing service to be. And that is not what's going to happen in, you know, the venues that Live Nation owns. They're going to want their ticketing service, Ticketmaster, to be um, the exclusive ticketing service that's used. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that is, you know, a little bit of a an example of, of what independence could look like. But um, I would, you know, from our perspective, American Economic Liberties Project, not necessarily speaking for the whole coalition here, mm -hmm. we're really pushing for a marketplace where you have small, medium-sized businesses that are going to be able to compete. And so that looks like, you know, small, medium-sized venue owners, small, medium-sized um, promotional companies, you know, that are organizing the tours. That That's great because then you have you know, folks at all different levels that get a piece of the pie, not just giants at the top, which is what we have right now. Right, right, indeed. So I guess to, to help finish it a little bit, um, we talked to uh, talked about it a little bit, but tell me a little bit more about kind of from your vantage point, this Department of Justice push or not, like kind of what the status of that is, where um, uh, that federal agency is potentially looking into the idea of, of, of an antitrust problem here. Yeah. With I mean, this was so action. exciting because, yeah, we launched this coalition a month ago in, in mid-October. And from the beginning, you know, just seeing the uptick, it's like we weren't just asking people to sign a petition. We were asking people to send letters to the Department of Justice about a monopoly, which, you know, is like a little bit of a heavy lift when you think about um, activism and advocacy. But, you know, from the first moments, like seeing thousands of people that were engaging and then Swifty Nation took it to another level. So now we have almost 50,000 people who have sent these letters. And, and then the announcement that Department of Justice is actually investigating. And so this is really, this is huge. Now it's it's probably early. Um, we don't know exactly what the timeline will be. The Department of Justice is never gonna you know, discuss their investigations publicly that are ongoing. But the fact that it's happening and we know that it's happening, um, I think the, the call right now is for as many people who are involved in this industry as possible to reach out to the Department of Justice and let them know about the harms from Live Nation Ticketmaster's monopoly. That is really, really important to make sure that they have a full understanding of what's going on in the market as they do their investigation. And right now we have, you know, we talked about new leadership at the Federal Trade Commission. Jonathan Cancer, the head of the Department of Justice Antitrust Division, has come in saying he wants to do exactly what his predecessors did not which is to bring you know, a strong spirit of antitrust enforcement um, to that office. And so I think we can expect if they're looking into this that we're gonna see real change come as a result of it, you know, when it, hopefully hopefully soon, but we don't know for sure the timing. Oh, I see, okay. So it's sort of pending like, I guess hearings, is that fair to say, and some other potential discussions about, uh, how does that work roughly? Yeah, I mean, like likely there would be, you know, some kind of, um, public comment period that would happen, we would okay. hope, but but we just really don't know. 
don't know. All we know is there's an investigation. Um, and then what it looks like from here is a little unclear. There could be, you know, going back to court to say that the merger, um, you know, needs to be unwound, like looking at violations of the consent decree, really too early to say, and only people who are within the walls of the Department of Justice know for sure. No, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's in that process currently, and we'll see what comes about it. Um, anyone who um, um, uh, follows this industry, even passively, this is an interesting subject that um, it was a pleasure to have you, Morgan Harper, to talk more about the advocacy, the, the the argument that, hey, this should be broken up or looked at as a monopolistic activity. Um, um, I guess before you go, um, just uh, if people want to learn more about this issue, uh, read some of the policy work even that your colleague or your organization has done, where would they go to either follow your social media or to learn more about the subject? So I'm at MH4OH, so Morgan Harper for Ohio. That's a whole other backstory why that's my handle, but we don't need to get into that yeah. here. Uh, and then we're at economicliberties.us. So that's where you find our quick take, updates on the campaign. But the campaign itself is breakupticketmaster.com. So if folks have not already sent a letter, please go on there. Um, and that's where we'll, you know, you can see all the coalition members. I want to shout out the coalition. We have such a great group of different, you know, organizations that are part of this representing musicians, artists. Um, and so if anyone wants to join that coalition, we're, we're happy to have new members as well. But breakupticketmaster.com is the coalition and economicliberties.us is, is all of our anti-monopoly work generally. Okay, great. Well, hey, Morgan Harper of the American Economic Liberties Project. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. It was great chatting with you. Likewise.